0: I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. On the Genius Recipe Tapes, we're sharing the -the behind-the-scenes moments from talking with the geniuses themselves that we couldn't quite squeeze into the column or video. The extra genius tricks, the off-road riffs, and the personal stories that actually have nothing to do with the recipe that week. My guest this week is cookbook author, podcast host, journal editor, and salad slinger Hedy McKinnon. We talked about her genius whipped hummus recipe, her mid-career move to another continent, and her refusal to peel chickpeas. Plus, a question from Food52er Daniel. It's thanks to genius hunters like you that we've kept this column going 10 years strong. Hi, Hetty.
1: Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm doing okay, actually. Excited it's Friday. <laughs> I
0: forgot. <laughs> Um, Well, just to get started, can you tell me how you stumbled on this genius recipe?
1: I'm so um, overwhelmed that you're actually calling it a genius recipe because it was a complete accident and I don't see it as anything amazing, but it tastes amazing. So it's genius in in that sense, Um, but it's a whipped hummus. And I mean, you have to question whether the world needs another hummus recipe, right? There are... So many. And who am I to write a hummus recipe? But this one really, um, it came about purely as a kitchen accident. Sometimes I can be a pretty lazy cook, like when I'm cooking for my family, when I'm not paying attention to like writing down ratios and things like that. um, I can just really just go with the flow and just, you know, throw things in. And that's what happened with this whipped hummus. Like I basically opened a can of chickpeas and I thought I had drained them. And I hadn't, and I just tipped the whole thing into my Vitamix blender. And then I thought, oh, no, like, what have I done? What have I done? But again, being a little lazy, I decided just to leave the liquid in there, um, the aquafaba. And I thought, oh, actually, I'm sure it'd be fine. Like, so I won't put any water in. I'll leave. I'll use that as my liquid content. And then everything else kind of went in. And I usually don't add oil to my hummus until the end so I kind of started whipping this thing up and as I started whipping it started getting really big and much bigger than I normally get when I have hummus you know normally you have to really work for that really smooth texture but this one just came out so smooth and when I tasted it I was like whoa what is what is this like I I don't know if anyone's done this recipe before maybe they have but for me it was um such a light bulb moment, you know, like, wow, this is what Aquafaba could do. Dip for dinner is quite a fun concept. But for us, it's um, like, for me, it's quite an essential recipe to have in terms of something quick that you can throw together um, from a pantry, from pantry ingredients. But as a vegetarian, like, I'm always looking for ways to just roast lots of vegetables. When I'm feeling really lazy, I just want to roast a heap of vegetables. And how do I make those vegetables interesting? Well, it's normally something like a hummus, which, you know, you can serve on a plate and then put all the vegetables on the top, have some bread, and that's just an easy an easy dinner. Um, but you can put, like, any roasted vegetables with it. Like I think the original recipe I wrote, I did carrots, and I had a za'atar oil. Um, but you can really you know, it's very pantry friendly. So you can like really just switch it up and have whatever, um, roasted vegetables, vegetables you want. Sometimes I just do like cut up, um, in the summer, I'll just have tomatoes and, you know, keep it really fresh, but it's just such a, it's, I've seen a lot of recipes lately that say you should peel your, um, chickpeas. I don't know what, if you have an opinion on that. I've personally never done it. I'm way too lazy a cook to peel my chickpeas. Um, but I, many years ago, I, there was a, a lady we have um, at the schools in Australia, they're, they're not called um, lunch rooms, they're called canteens. And so they're run by parents who go and cook um, lunches and stuff for the kids. And so there was this one woman um, called Elham, she was Lebanese, and she ran the, the canteen in my kids' school. And she made the, amaz- the most, the smoothest hummus, and she always said to me, Ah, my secret is canned chickpeas. And so now I never really cook fresh chickpeas um, to make my hummus. I just use the canned stuff. So, I mean, anything that starts with a happy accident just has me,
0: you know, my years perk up. I love that an accident in the kitchen led to then you putting together the pieces that there was something scientific going on that we had also been hearing about sort of recently with this aquafaba. And then there's something very deviant feeling about dumping in the liquid too, because so many recipes start with drain the chickpeas Mm -hmm. or canned beans, rinse them. This is both a genius recipe and a deviant recipe. because.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. That's a new um, podcast of yours, Deviant Recipes. <laughs> I'll be on that for sure. Yes. <laughs> I, like, I love breaking rules when it comes to food. So, um, you know, I, I do feel like a lot of what I do is like rule breaking, but kind of, you know, sanctioned rule breaking because, you know, you produce something delicious out of it. This is The Genius Recipe Tapes.
0: I thought maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit more about your career up to this point in food and kind of how the recipes and stories that you've sought out have evolved from your early days doing your Arthur Street Kitchen salad projects to your more recent projects like Peddler Journal and to Asia With Love.
1: Okay, Um well, I've been doing a lot of this this week because To Asia With Love just launched, um, which is my latest book in Australia. So that's kind of the latest part. But I'll dial back um, the years to 2011 um, in Sydney, in inner city Sydney, I lived and my I just had my third child. Huck was about 12 months old. And I have three children um, who were all in very quick succession. So between the time I had my first daughter to my third child it was only like three or four years and so I never went back to work and before that I worked in PR but after I had Huck I decided I didn't really want to go back to doing like a a day you know like an office job basically so I decided what else could I do and I really had this idea of making like the food that we were eating at home which was like these salads like vegetable based salads and I wanted to deliver them to my community like do something that would keep me in the community. It was just a magical time. I just loved, you know, when you live somewhere and you just love where you live so much and you love the people. And so it was just really, it wasn't really a business idea and before, but it was just like a fun idea. And before you knew it, um, you know, I was learning to cook through that job. So Arthur Street Kitchen, prior to this, I never cooked uh, professionally. Um, It was my first time really cooking for a lot of people, um, other than, you know, like a dinner party. But this was, you know, the community was my dinner party. So it was um, an incredible experience to learn to cook During that business and that business really taught me how to cook it taught me about flavor combinations I wasn't cooking a lot of Asian food that I cook now but I was cooking like Middle Eastern food and Mediterranean food and I was really learning about spices and how to put things together and you know those salads were I think at the time probably still now a little unique because they were vegetable-based salads um, not a lot of leaves very hearty. And they were designed that way because of who I was cooking for, you know, people who were stopping during the day just to have a quick lunch before they keep working. And so, yeah, that, that business was just a magical time for me. I delivered salads on my bike. Um, It started very small, very humbly started my first week. I think I delivered four salads and three of those were my friends (laughs) and uh, it grew and grew. And then I think about two years into the business, Um, about three people on one delivery day said to me, you should write a book. And little did I know that those three comments would really change my life because I wrote a book, I started writing down the recipes, um, and before that I didn't know how to write recipes either. This was all I was just learning on the job. So I wrote down 60 of my favorite recipes and then really didn't know what to do with that, like how to, what would I do making it into a book. You know, like this was very different to – my previous life in PR, but I love magazines. I've always been a magazine junkie. I love paper. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do this properly and it'll be a complete vanity project. And I'll have a thousand books in my house for the rest of my life. So my husband and I moved furniture around and when the boxes came, um, there was a thousand books cause that was the print minimum and they sold out in three weeks. And so that was the very, very beginning of kind of everything that I've done because I discovered like this, through the business I discovered a great love, that passion for feeding people, but writing books and writing recipes, as you know, it, it connects you to even more people. So, you know, Community has been this, um, Community was the name of the first book. It was this kind of runaway success um, I mean, to this day, I don't really understand the passion for that book, because it it was a story about a very small community in Sydney. And it just resonates with people everywhere. So that book is very special to me. Like it has, it's, I kind of see it as my beginning, like this kind of rebirth um, for me professionally and personally, actually. So after that became like a national success. And Funnily enough, it was never released in the US until the first of September this year, 2020. And it was kind of like Australia's little secret. From 2015, we moved to the US. Um, my husband got offered a job over here. You know, the, the business had been going for four years. And after Community came out, it, there was a lot of pressure to expand and get bigger and to become something else. And to be honest, I wasn't quite ready for it to become something else. So the lure of New York really, um, I was very attracted to it because it would give me an opportunity to do, to kind of start again, you know, to, yeah, I, I kind of love that. I love the business when it's very new and it's, you're developing and um, I don't love having commercial pressures on myself, like even when I write a book. After I moved to New York, I did deliver salads for a little while in Brooklyn, believe it or not. I But it wasn't the same because I couldn't cook from home. I cooked from a commercial kitchen. The, the idea of delivery is not as uh, unusual or, you know, like different as it was in Sydney. So it was, I kind of I did it. I did a few pop-ups, but I just decided to kind of go more into the food writing, which was kind of an, a natural progression for me, like being away from home and feeling very nostalgic for my childhood, being away from my mother. All those, all those things really led me down the path of kind of reconnecting with my cultural identity. It's something that I don't feel like I really did or do when I'm back home in Sydney because my mum's there you know we're close we're very close to one another she's a big part of my life and when I'm with her I don't I don't ever really feel a really strong sense to connect too much to my identity but once once I've moved to uh, the US I just felt this great yearning you know like a very deep yearning to to find myself in, in the food that I was cooking and to tell those stories, not only my own, but other people's stories, these small stories that make people really feel something, you know. So that's that's when I started Peddler in 2017. Peddler has really influenced me in such a huge way because it's, I guess, you know, for someone that didn't always feel comfortable with who I was and my identity and my cultural identity, you know, growing up in a Chinese household in Australia, in a very Western world, I think Peddler really allowed me to to realise that there are other people in the world just like me who have those cultural, you know, caught between two worlds. And right now, like, that just comes out in such a, in such a beautiful way, you know, on the plate, on the page, um, those clashing of cultures just... It allows me to, it just is a real source of um, creativity and inspiration for me in, in my work.
0: And on the podcast, too, bringing the stories of Peddler to life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the House Specials is, it's like a, I, I describe it like a meander, you know, it's just like a meander down a a little journey a little story like we did two episodes just on one dish which was this tomato and egg dish which a lot of Chinese people um, would have grew up eating and it was an unremarkable dish but somehow holds a lot of significance for perhaps people like me people who you know grew up like second generation Australians or Americans. It just conjures such wonderful memories. That's why we love to kind of like really delve deep into like very small stories with Peddler. But obviously the second season, which we're working on right now, is going to be very different because we haven't been able to go into people's homes. And it's going to be more a situation like this, (laughs) talking through a screen.
0: It's so interesting that you say that you actually were sort of relishing a chance to start over because you know, I was sort of wondering how that felt to have this blossoming career and have people really, you know, clearly resonating with your work or your work resonating with them, I should say, in Australia. And then to feel like you have to start over, did you feel like it was truly completely starting over? Or did you feel like you sort of had some momentum coming off of the things that you had done already and learned in Australia?
1: I thought I would have momentum in the US, but I don't think I did. It's just two different two very different markets. So I feel like for most of my food career, I've had two parallel careers running. The one in Australia, which has blossomed really mostly in my absence because the first book came out about five months before I left. But coming to the US was, it was quite a culture shock, actually. It wasn't as seamless as I thought it would be. You know, there was the, the, this reputation that i built up in Australia didn't really count for that much in the us even things like trying to sell the book you know trying to having to promote myself in that way is something that i've never had to do before you know just feeling um really insecure and like needing to tell someone you know all these credentials what are my credentials i don't feel like i had credentials because you know in australia you don't really talk you don't really talk up your success too much Um, there's this whole thing called the tall poppy syndrome where if you talk about your success too much, you get ripped down. Plus in Chinese culture, it's probably, so I have a double. <laughs> so I found it really hard to to sell myself when I first got to the U.S. and I really found it hard to, you know, set my point of difference. Like who, who am I, what am I doing that's gonna add something to the U.S. market? Whereas what I was still doing was still very different. You know, like community, those salads that I wrote in 2012, 2013 are still very current in 2020. But I guess I just didn't have the confidence in selling myself perhaps. So I did feel like it was a really new start, but I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I feel like it was really good for me to reset and really look at, you know, how not not to just keep going with the salad thing because I my, my salads, are, salads are like a first love for me, but to really like delve into other areas of food, of recipe development and of writing that were really interesting to me. And I guess, you know, like working, it's that feeling of being away from home and challenging myself that really led me to where I am now, which is in a really you know, happy place with the work that I'm doing. So,
0: yeah. How did you find it in yourself to both identify that that was what was required of you to be more more confident and and then mm-hmm. how did you find that in yourself?
1: I think, I mean, everything I do is, happens really naturally, you know, like there's this like light bulb moments that happen. I don't know if it's any like conscious decision but once I decided to stop the salad deliveries, I knew that writing was something I wanted to do more of and I've been so lucky to be able to write, you know, like book after book, particularly for Australia and then they get published later on in the US. I attribute a lot of where I am now to being away from home, you know, to from being away from my mum and all the things that I find familiar. So those things really pushed me to... Look deeper within myself. And, you know, it really allowed me to connect more with who I am inside. And it allows, you know, that to come out in the work that I produce. So it's
0: also so interesting that you had to have this evolution of how you talk about yourself and your work coming from a background in PR. uh, Does that mean that in Australia, the, the PR work that you did also had a more humble bent than the PR that goes out in the US? Or is it easier to talk about other people's work that you're promoting in PR? And like, and, and talk that up than it is to talk about your own.
1: I really don't, I didn't really have a narrative to, um, to promote myself. I don't know. A
0: narrative of secret bestselling author in, you know, across the world is pretty compelling to me.
1: <laughs> but, you know, like five years ago, I probably wouldn't have said, I, I would have probably been too embarrassed to say, I've got this book that has sold, you know, tens and tens, like 100,000 book copies just in Australia. Like I would have been too embarrassed to to say that. But my American friends always say, you've got to tell people like that is amazing. And I'm like, I still am getting there.
0: I wanted to embarrass you with a question from one of our listeners. And this question comes from a listener named Daniel.
1: So how has becoming famous changed your relationship with food? <laughs> Well, a don't think I'm famous, so it hasn't changed me at all. It's interesting because as my career, it has, I don't think it really has changed. I don't think about that stuff at all. I don't, I'm engaging with people over my food. And as my career has progressed, I've become more personal in the stories I'm telling. I think I trust my audience you know, like I trust the audience that I've built up over the last number of years. I trust them to take those stories and to, you know, accept them in the way they were given. I think that's one thing I've always been very lucky with, with the people who enjoy my food. So the personal aspect of the work that I do is the most fulfilling because, you know, like, when I did that recipe for um, the Sukme Fan, which is the cream corn with rice on The New York Times, and it was actually called It's Cantonese Name. I had so many people reaching out to me and said, I feel seen. I can't believe I'm seeing a Cantonese recipe written in, in the Cantonese, you know, word name in the New York Times. Like it was a big moment for a lot of people. And I don't always even realize that those moments are going to happen. That's,
0: that's really beautiful and, and so special that you can connect with other people who recognize the dishes that you're sharing and the language that you're sharing. Yeah. But also it stands out to people who aren't familiar with that dish too. Yeah.
1: You know, it's it's just really expanding. It's allowing everyone to be a part of the story. It's it's very intoxicating to me to write a recipe that is from my childhood that is not particularly like culinarily incredible you know it's it's not foam it's not gastronomy it's just very um, homey and to give those recipes a home in mainstream media is it's an incredible thing to be able to do so I'm really I'm really proud of that I do consult my mum still on a lot of recipes <laughs> there's a lot of facetiming and a lot of my mum telling me I'm doing the wrong thing, <laughs> as Asian mothers always do. But uh, it's it's all part of this, you know, bringing people a story that I think a lot of people can relate to, no matter what culture you're from.
0: Being away that must be so yeah. hard. And has your family been able to visit you here
1: in that time? I haven't seen my mum for two and a half years. My mum is, I think, the New York trip would be too much for her now because she has, you know ailments as a 77 76 year old would have so she hasn't done the trip to New York since we lived here but um (laughs) she FaceTimed a few days ago and I was I didn't get the call and she didn't call back so um yeah it's it's hard it's hard being away from home and I feel like this year particular has been such a intensely you know crazy year it
0: must be so exciting for her to hear all of that that you're saying about her too
1: yeah, I mean, my mum plays it really cool and um, she doesn't read English. She knows the work I'm doing, though, and she knows, like, I think like the first time she's ever written a recipe down was for the very first issue of Peddler, the Chinatown issue. I wanted to put in um, a recipe that I made with her very often, um, which was called Gokje, which is a Cantonese dumpling um, with, a like, a translucent skin and it's one that I just love it so much. And she, she makes beautiful, like that particular shape. So I wanted that in the first issue of Peddler. And she, I told her before, cause I was already living in New York. I said, when I get there, I want you to show me how to make this recipe. So when I got there, she had written it all down. She'd written the recipe and there was such pride for her to show me how to cook something. Um, because, you know, my mum and I live very different lives. We're very similar people, but she grew up in China and moved to Australia as a twenty in, the, in her early 20s. I grew up in a Western world. So we come from very different worlds, but yet we kind of meet together when we cook. So um, she wrote this recipe down, her very first recipe, and I took photos of her making it. And, of course, some of the photos were in the first issue of Peddler. And when she saw it, she said, why didn't you tell me I was going to be in a magazine? Because <laughs> she said, I would have dressed up, I would have worn something different. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, there's, there's more recipes I want to, to kind of preserve. I see, I see it as like a preservation now um, when I cook her recipes because – You know, I I grew up in the West. My children are growing up in the West. So all all the cultural significance, food is our main way of keeping that alive.
0: Hey, thank you so much for spending this time with us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kristen. It's been such a joy. It's been a joy to see you again. Thanks for listening. Our show was put
0: together by Coral Lee, Emily Hanhan, and me, Kristen McGlory. You can find all of the Genius Recipes videos and stories at our site, food52.com, and you can email me at geniusfood 52com For example, are you looking for any holiday Genius Recipes? Or do you have any beloved recipes you want to send me? If you like the Genius Recipe tapes, be sure to rate and review us. It really helps. See you next time.